This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of July 5th. We have Sanjay Gupta coming back for his second week as our guest host. And on Monday, July 5th, we have the contestants, Rebecca Gould, an ESL para-educator from Columbia, Maryland, Mark Lucas, a corporate and career strategist from Redondo Beach, California, and Courtney Shaw, a community college instructor from Portland, Oregon, whose five-day cash winnings total $79,258. And in the Jeopardy round, we had the categories Bordering the USA, Disney Movies by Song, This and That, Animals, Four-Letter Words, and They Don't Live on Sesame Street. These were all people who had names that are also the names of Sesame Street characters. Yes. Like the $600 level, which I, I just, I have always enjoyed this fact. Uh, accompanying him on his post-White House trek to the Amazon, Kermit was the second son of this U.S. president. That's Theodore Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Courtney got that right. It's just funny to me that there was a person named Kermit. Like a real person. Yeah. I imagine it was a more common name before... At one point in time. I would I have assume, to think right? so. <laughs> I mean, it was common enough for at least one person to be named it. Mm-hmm. We had some Canadian geography struggles mm-hmm. at the $800 level of bordering the USA. The clue there was Montana's wild horse port of entry sees you through to this Canadian province on your way to Medicine Hat, eh? And Mark tried Manitoba and Courtney tried Saskatchewan, but Rebecca got it with Alberta. Mm-hmm. Daily double number one is very late in the round. It's pick number 28. It's the $400 level of four-letter words. Uh, Courtney finds it. She's at 2000 Mark is at 5000 and Rebecca is at 5200 And she makes it a true daily double. And she gets the clue. This monarchical title was relinquished for good in 1917. And she gets that right with what is czar. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, only a few clues later, Courtney's at 4,000, Mark is up to 6,200, and Rebecca is at 5,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are cobblestones, cobble as in the capital of Afghanistan, literature, starts and ends with T, put in oscillation, doctored television, and drunk history, mm. which is where they started. Yes. And that was about the history of kind of the the manufacture of uh, various alcoholic beverages. Indeed. Mostly, yeah. Alcohol in history. I I liked uh, seeing Rebecca get the $1,200 level of doctored television. Uh, The clue there was plastic surgeons Sean McNamara and Christian Troy. Uh, She knew that was nip tuck which I, I watched a lot of nip tuck it is not high culture you never <laughs> you don't you don't think that you're going to be acquiring a whole lot of trivia knowledge when you're watching nip tuck so it's very satisfying like i don't know I, I i find it satisfying when jeopardy has 
things that are that that certain people would uh, consider too lowbrow for for real trivia. Right. You know, yeah. it's the same twelve hundred dollars. Exactly. It is an answer to a question and you knew it. So you're good. Yep. Mm hmm. Uh, Daily Double 2 is in that drunk history category at the $1,600 level. Mark finds it as just the sixth pick. He has 7400 at this point. He's in the lead with Courtney and Rebecca tied at 5200 He wagers 3400 and gets the clue year in which the photo here was taken. And they had a black and white photo of mostly all or all men kind of, you know, uh, raising their glasses in a toast in kind of a bar scene. Um, hopefully I remembered that accurately. I, I don't have the picture in front of me. He tried 1923, uh, but the correct answer here is 1933, the end of prohibition. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, in the put in oscillation category uh at the 400 dollars level the clue was a dance with one arm out in front of you is named for this oscillating lawn item and uh rebecca rang in and got it correct with the sprinkler uh sanjay gupta did a little bit of sprinkler and says uh he he said you're right can you do it though and uh rebecca said she wasn't going to shut it down (laughs) (laughs) she handled that well i'd have been like uh 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 this is oh, not a al- trivia question. Yeah. <laughs> also in that category, uh, I, I had a, a, a mix-up uh, at the $800 level. Um, the clue was, to the naked eye, it may look like it's not moving when in use, but here's a slow motion look at this musical item at work. And it was a like a metal thing with like the two prongs. And you can, you know, in the slow motion video, you can see them uh, uh, vibrating or oscillating or whatever. Mark that got that one. It's a tuning fork. I said a pitchfork because somehow the words pitch pipe and tuning fork <laughs> mixed themselves up in my mind. A pitchfork is something else entirely. Yes, usually used for hay. <laughs> yes. Or old timey mobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're going to, you know, go to the, the castle and kill the beast. Exactly. You, you got to grab your pitchfork. Yeah. Tuning forks won't help you out as much there. Unless you're in the mm-hmm. musical version, then yep. probably need the tuning fork. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daily Double number three is at the bottom of that category at the $2,000 level. Pick number 23, Mark finds it. Uh, he is at 6800 Courtney's at 5600 and Rebecca is at 7600 So he's like right in the middle. And he wagers 2800 He gets the clue. In 1851, this two-word object bearing the name of its inventor started having a ball weighing 62 pounds swing in Paris's Pantheon. He doesn't know, so he thinks of an inventor and he guesses what is a Tesla coil, uh, but that's the Foucault Mm -hmm. pendulum. Yeah. uh, Which is, if I recall, it's that thing that just, like, swings across the room never endlessly, like, in that round room, right? Yep. Yep, just like right. marks on the floor or whatever. Yeah, I think that's right. I seem to remember that it also like demonstrates that the Earth rotates because yeah, like that. yeah, because over the course of the day, you can see that it's like shifting. Mm-hmm. So um, tough break for him. At the at the end of the double jeopardy round, uh, Courtney's in the lead with ninety six hundred. Rebecca is at eighty eight hundred. Mark is at 7,200. So he's made a bit of a recovery. 
And we have the final Jeopardy category, World Geography, and the clue. On either side of Indochina are these two gulfs that start with the same letter. Mark responds correctly with what are Tonkin and Thailand? Uh, and he has wagered 2402, taking him up to 9602. I think Sanjay Gupta said something like, I see what you did there. Like he's starting to clue into some of the Jeopardy strategy. Um, mm-hmm. Rebecca did not come up with anything. She has what are question mark and question mark. Uh, and she's wagered 6200. That drops her to 2600. And Courtney has the correct response with what are the Gulf of Tonkin and Thailand. She's wagered 8,100, which takes her up to 17,700. It's a pretty decisive win. Mm -hmm. And so she is our champion going into Tuesday. That's right. Uh, And on Tuesday, we have the contestants Laura Hatcher, a communications consultant from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Alex Stubblefield, a PhD candidate in economics from Montgomery, Texas. And Courtney Shaw, a community college instructor from Portland, Oregon, who is now six-day champion with $96,958. And we have the Jeopardy round categories Americana, Street Art, Checking Into the Movies, Resisting a Rest, Women Who Write, and Use Your Two Eyes. Two eyes will be the only vowels in the correct responses. Mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings about requiring a full name at the $800 level of women who write. Yeah. The clue there was her husband, Scott, told an editor not to praise her novel, Save Me the Waltz, too highly, as it would not be good for her mental state. Laura rang in and said, who is Fitzgerald? Uh, Sanjay Gupta said, be more specific, please. And she supplied Zelda Fitzgerald. The, the category is women. Right. I, um, like, yeah, I feel like it fits in a little bit with kind of the um, bias toward referring to men by their last names and women by their first names. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not convinced that the mention of husband Scott should be enough. Or that there's a different Fitzgerald that they need her to differentiate from. Right, right? yeah. It, it threw me off. And I, I, I it, it was also a weird edit, so I don't know if actually they made, like, had to go back and reshoot it or something. Like, they accepted mm. it, and then they said, well, maybe we should have her be more specific. I don't know. It was a weird edit. Yeah. I remember that being strange. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. Jeopardy's going to keep on reminding us that Puerto Rico is part of the United States. Yes. Uh, which they did again at the $400 level of Americana. El Yunque on this Caribbean island is the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. national forest system. That's Puerto Rico and Alex got that one. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number one comes up at the $800 level of that Americana category. It's the 18th pick and Alex finds it. He has 800 at this point. Uh, to Courtney's 5,200 and Laura's 1,400. And he uh, wagers 1,000, the maximum, if you're, uh, if you're under that, and gets the clue. Unusually, one building of the Tug Valley Chamber of Commerce in West Virginia is made of this flammable mineral. He tried what is flint. They were looking for coal. Close yeah. association of West Virginia and coal is what you should be thinking of. Although... 
to be honest, they said flammable mineral. And I was like, oh, what's the thing that sparks uh, before I before I switched to like, oh, right, West Virginia coal. Right. It is hard to think of coal. I don't know. Yeah. As a mineral, like that's what it is, obviously. But also, yeah, you don't usually think of coal as a mineral, at least in my mind. Mm hmm. Yeah. So he drops down into the red. Uh, but by the end of the Jeopardy round, he's recovered some. Uh, Courtney is in the lead at 7,600. Alex has made it out of the red and up to 2,600. Laura's standing at 1,800. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. African-Americans pre-1860. Beautiful vocabulary. The human body. A world to kiss. Holidays and observances. And rock and roll hall of fame nicknames. At the $1,200 level of holidays and observances, we had a clue about the Feast of St. Stephen uh, called Boxing Day in Commonwealth countries is observed on this date. Uh, Courtney got that one. It's December 26th. People sing Good King Wenceslas around Christmas time because it is a song about events that happen on the on the day of the feast of saint stephen right good king wenceslas looked out on the feast of stephen uh etc mm-hmm. etc et mm-hmm. right that's why that's a christmas song um, <laughs> not because it actually has anything to do with christmas but. not not as, i mean you know it's about generosity which is closer to the meaning of christmas than some christmas songs i could name but <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah um but yeah no the the act the uh the reason that it got associated with christmas is that it's a song about a miracle happening on saint stephen's day hmm. Uh, we get Daily Double number two in the World to Kiss category at the $1,600 level. It's pick number 18, so most of the round has gone by. Alex finds it. He's at $5,400. Courtney is up at $15,200, and Laura is back at $2,600. Uh, and he wagers 4000 I like it. I'm trying to get mm-hmm. back in the game. He gets the clue, in this French pilgrimage city, many have kissed the stone in the cave where St. Bernadette had her vision. And he guesses what is Leon, but it is Lourdes. That's right. And Daily Double number three is the 28th pick. It's at the $2,000 level of the human body. And Laura finds this one. She's at 5800 at this point with Courtney at 17600 and Alex at 1800 She wagers 5000 So also trying to get back in the game. And uh, gets the clue, the dur in epidural refers to this two-word tough lining of the spinal cord and the brain. And she tries, what is the durum? Uh, but the correct answer here is the dura mater. Yeah, not not too far off. Just mm-hmm. yeah. tough break. So, yeah, those daily doubles uh, worked against the challengers. And Courtney mm-hmm. had... I don't want to say had an easy time of it, but like her her graph went up and and the other two did not. So at yeah. the end of the double jeopardy round, she's in a lock position at seventeen thousand six hundred. Alex is at twenty six hundred, and Laura is at eight hundred. Uh, you know, at least they got to play final jeopardy, mm-hmm. and they they made it to the stage. Yep. The final jeopardy category is colleges and universities. And the clue is, in 2019, this public university attempted to trademark the word THE (laughs) for use on clothing and hats. Now, there's a whole bunch of hullabaloo about 
well, this was really easy. People are, this was, uh, why the easiest Jeopardy question ever? Uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's like. It's easy if you know it. It's easy if you know it. And I bet a lot of the people who are like, oh, it's really easy. I bet you pay attention to college sports. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only place that this ever comes up. Yep. If you don't pay attention to college sports, then you really don't have much of a reference point for this. You'd be like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no other way in. Yeah. Other than knowing that The Ohio State likes to refer to itself as The Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, that's the, na- that's the correct answer, if you didn't know that. <laughs> it's yep. The Ohio State University. They all got it correct. Uh, Laura wagered nothing. Alex wagered 999 and Courtney wagered 4,000. So she increased her score to 21,600. Mm-hmm. And on Wednesday, we have the contestants Keshav Shah, a graduate student from Atlanta, Georgia, Nicole Viadueva, a direct service provider from Cedar Rapids, uh, Iowa, and Courtney Shaw a community college instructor from Portland, Oregon, whose seven-day cash winnings total 118558 And we have the Jeopardy round categories, winning presidential campaign slogans, toys and games, the Duke and Duchess of Suffolk. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. TV animation, spiders, and working out the details. There's a colon there. It is working out, colon, the details. Yes. I felt like there was a little bit of unintentional editorialization from a contestant at the $800 level of winning presidential campaign slogans. Uh, The clue was, are you better off than you were four years ago? And Keshoff tried, who is Biden? Burn! (laughs) That was not correct. Ronald Reagan. Is uh is the one who used that slogan. Yes. Nicole ran the toys and games category. Yes, she did. And that included the uh, first Daily Double. <clears throat> it was pick number five. They got there early. Uh, it's at the $600 level when Nicole found it. She was at 1000 only. Uh, and so she wagered 1000 Courtney was at 200 and Kishab was at zero. Uh, and she got the clue... Milton Bradley used a printer that normally made shower curtains to make this game's floor mat. And she got that correct with what is Twister. I thought that was a fun fact to, to learn yeah. and know. Yeah. That's, that's the trivia we're looking for. Mm-hmm. No thank you to every question about spiders, but I did get most of them. Um, Aw. I like spiders. Yeah. Uh, they do good things for the world, and they creep me out. <laughs> I, I like... The idea of spiders. (laughs) I like the knowledge that they're somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, they should they should do their thing. Just preferably just just not close to me. Yeah, I have accidentally walked through spider webs like three times this week, and it's always upsetting. No, (laughs) sorry. Yeah, my my kids would have enjoyed the $800 one, although they weren't in the room uh, at uh, uh, the $800 level of TV animation. Uh, the clue there was like Aang in a previous series, Korra is working on becoming a master one of these. She was already a pro at fire, earth and water. That's an airbender. Avatar, the last airbender and Legends of Korra are the animated series in question. 
and they're both good shows. I have not watched them. They're on my list. I um I was in the room for them, but at some point I kind of mentally checked out. But I should have paid attention because I think they were actually like good shows that deserved my full attention. Mm. So I might go back to them. Gotcha. You know what's a great kids show for younger kids than Avatar: The Last Airbender? It's Bluey. Bluey. Yes, Bluey. it's, it's so, so good. good. <laughs> I love Bluey. Uh, <laughs> it's such a good show. It's awesome, listeners. Did- if you have small children, like you know, like toddlers and and little kids. You should find Bluey. I think it's on it's on mm-hmm. Disney Plus and Netflix. It's on Disney Plus, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, is it on Netflix also? I didn't I think realize it is. I could okay. be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I also feel like it's like a like a parenting masterclass. Oh, it's so good. It it really is. Yeah. Oh man, watch Bluey. Yeah, yeah Bluey's great. Anyway, at the end of the <laughs> Jeopardy round, uh, Courtney's at thirty four hundred, Nicole's at thirty eight hundred, and Keshav is at forty six hundred. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, women directors, also known as directors. Directors. Uh, chapter of the 19th century novel, wall to wall, martial matters, not to be confused, and the doctor is in each correct response begins with DR, so really it's more like the dir is in. Mm. Daily Double number two came up very early in the round. Uh, It's the third pick. Courtney started us out in chapter of the 19th century novel, and uh, Keshav got the $400 and $800 clues of that category, so he was the one to uncover the Daily Double at the $1,200 level. At that point, he had $5,800 to... Nicole's 3,800 and Courtney's 3,400. He wagered 3,000 and got the clue The Siege of La Rochelle and Men of the Robe and Men of the Sword. And he correctly responded, What is the Three Musketeers? Uh-huh. Yeah. And the, the clue right after that, the $1,600 level. In this familiar work, the first interview with Smirjikov. He also got that one. That's the Brothers Karamazov. And that is a book that I have read the first couple of pages of probably a dozen times and keep telling mm. myself I'm going to read all the way through and never have. Mm. That's uh, that's on my someday list. Yeah. It's an undertaking. Yeah. Daily Devil number three is at the almost at the end of the round. It's pick number 29. Uh, Kishef finds this one also. He's at 15,200. Courtney's at 4,200. Nicole is at 11,800. Uh, he wagers 3,000. I don't know if I said this. It's in the wall-to-wall category at the $1,600 level. Uh, he gets the clue, it's the only remaining structure of the second temple of Jerusalem. And he just uh, says he does not know. Uh, and that is the Western Wall, also called the Wailing Wall. Yes. Uh, so that drops him down some he's kind of hit his daily doubles have canceled each other out yeah <laughs> and uh but he does go into final jeopardy with a lead uh at the end of the double jeopardy round Keshav is at 12,200 Nicole's at 11,800 Courtney's at 6,200 and we have the category rock bands and the clue in 2017 this band, whose singer goes by a nickname, became the first to have number one albums in the U.S. in the 1980s, the 1990s, the 2000s, and the 2010s. 
Courtney correctly responds, who is you too? Uh, she has wagered just 800. That brings her up to 7,000. Nicole also has the correct response with who is you too? Uh, she has wagered 11,500. Um, that is uh, a lot. That's that's yes, that's a lot. Um, that's a riskier wager than is ideal, but it pays off because she knew the information. So that brings her up to 23,300. And Keshov has tried who are the police. Uh, he wagered 11,401. That drops him down to 799. Uh, and so Nicole is our winner going into Thursday. Yes, indeed. So Courtney's run has ended at seven games, uh, but she will be back for the next Tournament of Champions. Yeah, she did very, very well. Yeah, she did. Seven games is a good number to win, uh, <laughs> uh, just in my own opinion. Yeah. So on Thursday, we get the contestants Jen Javinsky, an early literacy librarian from Algonquin, Illinois. Ellen McKeeman, a retired nursing staffing coordinator from Newport, Oregon. And Nicole Villanueva, a direct service provider from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, who just won $23,300. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, a moment of science. Getting clockwise, completes the idiom, state license plates, Michael Jordan, and I took that personally. (laughs) Ah, I love that meme. (laughs) Wait, what am I missing here? Uh, This is from The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Okay. Uh, And it spawned a whole series of memes of him, you know, saying whatever. And and I took that personally. You you can look it up. Uh, All right. Hold on a second. I I am knowing my meme. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll go back to that and and further know my meme at a later time. Okay. I think we've covered this on the podcast. Um, but at the eight hundred dollar level of completes the idiom, uh, we had what a great idea or a wheat or otherwise it's the best thing since. And Jen correctly responded, "What is sliced bread?" What we've covered is that sliced bread is pretty new. It is pretty, it's pretty new. It's pretty new. Uh, newer than Betty White, for instance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When people say, you know, since sliced bread, they mean since the advent of mechanically pre-sliced bread that you yes. could buy already sliced, right? Like, mm-hmm. not the idea of cutting bread into slices, but like the... Yes. Um, yeah. That, I imagine, happened much earlier. That Yeah, that's... That, that I don't know when that happened, but it was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I think... Sometime in the 1920s or so. At the $1,000 level of getting clockwise. Mm-hmm. It was it was a disappointing miss because obviously uh, at least the first contestant to respond knew something about the topic. The clue there was time was up for Joan of Arc in this French city. That's also home to the magnificent astronomical clock seen here. Ellen rang in and said, what is Orléans? Uh, which is the French pronunciation. Jen, uh, that was rejected. Uh, Jen tried what is Orleans, wondering if they just didn't like Ellen's pronunciation right. of the city. But that's that's just the like the anglicized pronunciation. Orléans or Orleans, whichever you prefer, is where Joan of Arc is from. They were looking for the city where time was up for her, uh, the city where she died. That is Rouen. Yes. Daily Double number one comes up in the state license plates category. 
at the $800 level. It's the ninth pick, and Jen finds it. She has $3,400 at this point. Nicole and Ellen are tied at $400. I feel like we've had a lot of uh, the other two contestants are tied moments. Maybe just two Mm -hmm. or something this week, but in any case, uh, she makes it a true daily double. I like her style. And she gets the clue. A specialty plate from California supports conservancy programs here, a national park since 1890. She looks like she doesn't know. And then she guesses what is Yosemite. Uh, That is correct. So she doubles her score. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Jen is at 10,600. Nicole's made it up to 5,200. Ellen's at 1,800. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. First novels, words with all five vowels, the American Revolution, TV spinoffs, 21st century monarchies, and brands with BR in quotation marks. Uh-huh. We had a throwback to my Charles Dickens deep dive in the first novels category uh, at the $800 level. Mm -hmm. The clue was these papers started out as captions for another's art, but ended up being Charles Dickens's first novel. And that is the Pickwick Papers. Jen got that one. Yep. I remember that from your deep dive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just below that, we had written in 1943, this beat the sea is my brother. took a long road to publication, finally saying print in 2011. So the clue there was road. Mm-hmm. Jen guessed who is Ginsburg. That's Jack Kerouac. Mm-hmm. They like asking about Jack Kerouac on Jeopardy. They do, yeah. I got a question correct by knowing about college sports, which, like, actually my knowledge of college sports is, is limited, um, but at the $1,200 of the level of the American Revolution, for his leadership in the war, Thomas Sumter was known as the Carolina This Bird, known to South Carolina football fans. Uh, that That's Gamecock. Uh the University of South Carolina Gamecocks uh, was the kind of second way in on this clue. If you didn't know the right. nickname of Thomas Sumter by itself. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the first novels category at the thousand dollar level. Pick number seven. Jen finds it. She is at 13,000 at this point. Nicole is at 5,600 and Ellen is at 1,800 uh, and she wagers 5,000 like it. Mm, yeah. She gets the clue, this title of James Baldwin's debut novel comes from a spiritual. She takes a moment to think about it, but she gets to it with Go Tell It on the Mountain. Mm-hmm. Also traditionally associated with the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is at the $1,600 level of the American Revolution. It's a 27th pick and Jen finds it. So Jen has found all three of these daily doubles and made pretty good use of them. Um, at this point, she's at 25,600 to Nicole's 16,000, which is a huge score. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which Nicole has gotten to without any daily doubles, incidentally. Yeah. Ellen is at 3,800. Um, we just have a very solid game here. You know what? Um, there were only four incorrect answers mm-hmm. in the whole game. Six triple stumpers. Yeah, they, they played a very good game. So she wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. When Vermont was denied statehood, this Vermont patriot unsuccessfully negotiated peace with General Haldimand of Canada. Um, I thought I saw her be a little disappointed that she hadn't wagered more once she saw she knew it. Uh, that was Ethan Allen, and she got that one correct. Mm-hmm. 
So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Jen is at 26,600. But it's not a runaway because Nicole is up to 16,000. And Alan is at 5,800. We have the final Jeopardy category, Musical Landmarks. And the clue, a cleft in limestone in England sheltered Reverend Augustus Toplady from a storm and inspired this popular hymn. Uh, Ellen got it correct with what is Rock of Ages, and she wagered everything but a dollar. So she gets up to 11599 It's a good score. Mm-hmm. Nicole missed it with what is Amazing Grace. I believe that story... Whether it's true or not, the story I know is that it was a former slave ship mm-hmm. owner, captain, who saw the light or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And so she wagered 4000 and drops to 12000 And uh, Jen got it correct with what is Rock of Ages. She had rocked out, rocked out. She had crossed out the solid rock, but she went with Rock of Ages, and that's correct. And she wagered 15401 which is way more than a cover bet. <laughs> It's like yeah. $10,000 more than a cover pack. Yeah, I, I wonder if there was an arithmetic error here. Possibly. She might have she might have put an extra, you know... An extra $10,000. An extra $10,000 in there. But it worked out for her because she won $42,000 in one day. So good for uh-huh. her. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, this, was, this was a very risky move. Uh, if it's what she did on purpose, um, if she'd stuck with the solid rock, Nicole would have been the winner unnecessarily right um yeah like she like a small a smaller wager would have would have protected her had she had she missed it but like oof, forty-two thousand. that's a that's a good payday yes it is i wondered if this clue was going to be too obscure because i have a hard time knowing you know as a church professional um what is common knowledge yeah. enough and what's not Um, I wondered if there, I I was thinking as the, as the think music played about how I would have tried to make sure this clue was accessible. And I thought I might reference that, uh, the title had been sort of adopted as the title of a Broadway musical. Mm, Yeah. Um, because that would give you a second route other than just knowing like kind of the lyrics of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You need to either know the history of the, of the hymn or the lyrics of the hymn. And it would be helpful to give a route in other than like detailed knowledge of this specific hymn, but maybe it's just a well-known enough hymn. I don't know. I guess. Anyway, Ellen and Jen knew it. So yes, they did. And on Friday, July 9th, we have the contestants, Catherine Durfler, an executive assistant and office manager from Brooklyn, New York. Tom Tips, a software project manager from San Diego, California, and Jan Javinsky, an early literacy librarian from Algonquin, Illinois, whose one-day cash winnings total $42,001. And in the Jeopardy round, we have the categories Literary Girl Interrupted, that's a finish the quote category, July, Keep Them Separated, Eponymous Food, they played two comic book characters and Beachy Keen. In that uh, comic book characters, <clears throat> the $800 level, the clue is Thanos and Jonah Hex. Jen got it right with Brolin, as in Josh Brolin. Uh, but they could have listed more. Mm. Uh, he plays Cable in the uh, 
Deadpool movies. And I'm pretty sure he has another role in some comic. He's done a, he's done a number of roles in comic book movies. I did not know that. I saw they played two comic book characters come out and I was like, oh no, that's not the category for me. But I did better in it than I thought. Although, I guess it helps that they, they provide the two comic book characters and you provide the actor. Right, if, if right? they gave you like, the actor and the you other had to way name around, them. It would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. The other way around would actually be, it would be good, but it would be for like, you know, for like team pub trivia or something. Yeah, that would be a good character, or character, a good category for pub trivia. We had a triple stumper. We I feel like we've talked in, a few times recently about how often Mormonism and Mormon history comes up in mm-hmm. on Jeopardy, and it's in the July category at the eight hundred dollar level. Upon reaching this valley in July eighteen forty seven, Brigham Young reportedly said, "This is the right place." That's the Salt Lake Valley. I can understand that being a triple stumper if you're not sure what the valley is actually called. Like, you yeah. might know that it's Salt Lake City and it's in right. Utah, but you don't know what the name of the valley is. I could see mm-hmm. that not wanting to guess there. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. It comes up a lot on Jeopardy. So, like, if you don't, if you happen to be from, I don't know, say, the East Coast. <laughs> mm-hmm. where, I don't know, where, where it's not as prevalent. You know, spend a little time learning the history of Mormonism. Yep. I, uh... I have spent a little time learning the history of Mormonism, and it's helpful for trivia. It is? Yeah. It is. I liked the whole literary girl interrupted category. It's been a while since I thought about Heidi, uh, but Heidi was at the $400 level. Um, Heidi at home in the mountains. I want to go about like the light-footed these animals. Jen got that one. It's goats. Heidi herds goats. And they had a bunch of bunch of other uh notable girls in that one we had dorothy and katniss everdeen and then we had the ambassador's wife on anna karenina which sort of threw me for a loop because all of these other characters the person being quoted is like a child Uh, a girl like a like a little girl yeah but oh well uh daily double number one is in the eponymous food category at the 400 hundred dollar level jen finds it it's pick number 14 uh, she's at 4,400, Tom is at 1,000, and Catherine's at 400, so she's already built a good lead. She wagered 3,000, which I like. Extend that lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she gets the clue, John Montague, 11th Earl of This, has opened restaurants in the U.S. bearing his yummy hereditary title. And she guesses, uh, what is Potbelly, which is <laughs> the best hereditary title. The Earl of Potbelly. Of Potbelly. Uh, she's not, like, I believe Potbelly is a sandwich place. Yes. Uh, so she's not that far off, but it's just Sandwich, the Earl of Sandwich. So she, she loses 3000 there. It's a funny yeah. guess. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think clearly she was trying to think of the shops mm-hmm. um, rather than the hereditary title. Yeah. Now I'm trying to find out what his... Oh, he licensed the use of his title for a chain of sandwich shops, Earl of Sandwich. <laughs> Oh, That's the yes. name of the, it's a restaurant franchise based in Orlando, Florida. Brilliant. That's, that's so great. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Mon- monetize that outdated peerage system or whatever. Oh, yeah. Way to oh, go. The, the world is awesome sometimes. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, well, at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Jen is at 3,200. She's recovered a bit. Tom is at 3,600, and Catherine's at 4,200. Uh, we get the double Jeopardy categories, Broadway musicals by opening numbers, Hair's the Thing, Lost and Found, Rejected Element Names, N.E. Port, and In a Storm. N.E. being New England. Yes. Yeah, and those those New England questions were not easy. No. Um, I mean, we started with just, you know, what state is Newport in? That's Rhode Island. Right. That's straightforward enough. Mm-hmm. And then um, Portsmouth uh, was this state's first colonial capital and is its only seaport. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom tried what is Maine. Maine has a lot of coastline. New Hampshire just touches the coastline just a teeny tiny bit at the corner there. That's the answer. Yep. Catherine got that one. And then they wanted to know about George H.W. Bush's summer home in this main city whose name ends with port, that is Kennebunkport. Tom knew that one. They wanted to know where the band Fish was formed in a Vermont city on Lake Champlain. That's Burlington. Nobody got that one. And then they had a picture of like a like a fisherman statue um, with a clue about the monument seen here in this Massachusetts port has long been sacred to fishermen. Uh, that's Gloucester. And I'm from Massachusetts and wasn't certain that yeah. Gloucester was the correct answer. Yeah, those were those were tougher. They were they were challenging. Which is nice. It's good to have yeah. those categories. Mm-hmm. Daily double number two is the ninth pick. It's at the eight hundred dollar level of lost and found. Catherine finds this one. Uh, she's at fifty four hundred to Jen's eight thousand and Tom's fifty two hundred. She wagers one thousand only and gets the clue a center of worship for this greek god the city of heliki founded in 2001 has been called the real atlantis and the clock almost ran out and then you could sort of see it come to her and she said who is poseidon and that's correct Uh the uh father of percy jackson i've been told a number of times today (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's who Poseidon is. That's um, his most important feature. We are uh, we are deep in the Percy Jackson books right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is at pick number 20. It's a $1,600 level of rejected element names. Jen finds it. Uh, she's at 9,200. Tom is at 10,800. And Catherine's at 7,600. And she wagers 3,000. The clue is William Ramsey's son suggested Novum for this noble gas, but William wanted a Greek name and called it this. And she doesn't know she guesses what is helium, uh, but that's neon from the Greek neo for new rather than the Latin Novum. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, we've got a pretty close game. Catherine is in the lead with 11,200. Tom's at 10,400, Jen's at 8,600, and we have the final Jeopardy category, 1980s bestsellers, and the clue, the title of this 1985 novel by a Canadian author partly alludes to the similarly named stories in a 14th century work. Jen has responded, what is a handmaid's tale? 
it is the Handmaid's Tale, but uh, Jeopardy does not rule responses incorrect based on an incorrect initial article. Sanjay Gupta clarified. Unless there is another prominent work with the other article. Right. As, as far as any of us know, there is not a, a, a famous, like a, a 1980s bestseller called A Handmaid's Tale. Right. So, uh, Yeah, the case in point here is Invisible Man versus The Invisible Man. Um, mm. The uh, the common bond between The Invisible Man and The Handmaid's Tale, of course, being Elizabeth Moss. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> sure sure yeah (laughs) right did that film end up coming out the invisible man it did come out yes um it's not in any way the story of the book but yeah i i just remember seeing previews for it right before everything closed um so then i wasn't sure what what had happened with it all right. Uh, so Jen has wagered 8600 That is probably too large of a wager for this situation. But hey, she got it right. So it works out. Tom has what is dot 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 question mark. It's uh, not correct, of course. He has wagered 10000 Also probably too large of a wager mm-hmm. for this situation. He has a choice here in wagering strategy whether he wants to cover a potential double up from Jen or focus on staying above Catherine. Wagering too much in a close game like this can risk dropping down too far and giving up a potential win. Yeah. But so he does drop down to 400. And Catherine figured out what the similarly named 14th century work was and has what are the Canterbury. Um, She didn't finish beyond that. And I think she knew that she'd kind of gotten one of the steps, but not to the final correct answer. Um, And she's wagered 10,000. So that drops her down to 1200 into second place. And Jen is our winner with 17,200. So that is the week. And we're saying goodbye to Sanjay Gupta. And next week we will have George Stephanopoulos. Very fun name to say. But this is the point in the show where we remind you we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can check it out. You can give us some money. You can get some bonus content. And if you're not interested in that, you can still give us ratings and reviews. Those help us out. We like we like seeing reviews and getting those ratings at Makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. People have been leaving ratings because I can see that our star average is going up. Yay! Up, up, up. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Also, of course, you know, we we remind you every week to, uh, if you can, direct some time, some money, some advocacy uh, to supporting social justice movements. Um, We point you to blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, and uh, the... Stop Asian Hate GoFundMe database. Mm-hmm. Yes. So find a place to pitch in if you're not yet. Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? I do. I realize a couple of them are very much in your wheelhouse, so I might be might be shooting off here in a way that you might not be going. But first, are you going to tell us about the Foucault Pendulum? I'm not. Okay. 
Uh, are you going to tell us about St. Bernadette? I am! Yay! <laughs> got it! I was like, I feel you like she's... It. I feel like she's talked about a, a, a religious-adjacent thing fairly recently, so maybe... Maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot by going for this, like, low-hanging fruit. <coughs> but it seemed yeah, like something no, you'd really be into. It was very low-hanging fruit. Um, <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah, we are talking about St. Bernadette and the uh, Marian apparitions at Lourdes. I think I first encountered St. Bernadette in a religion and American film course that I took back in college. You met St. Um, Bernadette? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I encountered the... the uh, the concept, the 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 story of Saint Bernadette. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, she's she's an interesting figure. So yeah, Saint Bernadette. Uh, so Bernadette Subiru um, was born Marie Bernard Subiru. She was the daughter of Francois Subiru and Louise Ne Castro. Her father was a miller. Her mother was a laundress. She was the eldest of nine children, uh, some of whom died in childhood. And she was born on January 7, 1844, and baptized at the local parish church, St. Pierre's. The family lived in extreme poverty. Uh, she, uh, Bernadette, Bernadette was a sickly child, and possibly due to that, her adult height was four feet seven inches tall. Yeah. When she was a toddler, she had cholera and suffered from severe asthma for the rest of her life. She attended the day school conducted by the Sisters of Charity and Christian Instruction from Nevers. And uh, she actually spoke very little French. This is um, a surprising thing that I learned about her. In the region she lived in, um, in the in the Pyrenees, uh, Occitan was the oh. was the language. Yeah, that was her still, primary language. Mm-hmm. We talked about that with troubadours. That's right. So still, uh, still, it was still the vernacular in that region uh, in the mid nineteenth century. On February 11th, 1858, uh, Bernadette was uh, 14, and she was out gathering firewood with her sister, Toinette, and another friend near the Grotto of Massabielle when she experienced her first vision. While the other girls crossed the little stream in front of the grotto and walked on, she stayed behind looking for a place to cross where she wouldn't get her stockings wet. Eventually, she sat down to take her shoes off in order to cross, and she was um, lowering her stocking when she heard the sound of rushing wind, but nothing moved. But a wild rose in a natural niche in the grotto did move. And then she says that from the niche or the, or the dark alcove behind it came a dazzling light and a white figure. Um, so this was the first of her 18 visions of what she initially referred to as a caro, which is just Occitan for that. Um, and then in later testimony, as she was being examined um, by kind of church officials, she described her vision as a small young lady. Um, she described the lady as wearing a white veil, a blue girdle, and having a yellow rose on each foot. And uh, it was noted that this was a description of any statue of the Virgin in a village church. Her sister and her friend said that they had not seen anything on that day. When she realized that only she and not her companions had seen this uh, this vision, she asked her sister not to tell anyone what had happened. Um, but Toinette 
like siblings through time immemorial uh did not <laughs> keep the secret uh she told their mother um their mother suspected the children were lying and uh both girls were punished and uh refer ref- were forbidden to return to the grotto um a few days later uh bernadette asked for permission to go again with her siblings and got permission and so on the 14th of February, which was a Sunday, she returned, um, bringing a small bottle of holy water to throw on the vision. She, she saw this apparition again. She threw the holy water in that direction and sprinkled it. Um, this was, I think, kind of a test to see if the thing was, in fact, sort of from God or if it was like an evil Mm-hmm. vision and when she threw the holy water she says she saw the lady smiling and bowing her head and uh, also reassuring were the bare feet of the lady um, because it was sort of accepted lore that like evil visions or evil apparitions would have like cloven hooves like the devil on her third visit a few days later on february 18th she said that the beautiful lady asked her to return to the grotto every day for 15 days. And she said that the lady told her that she did not promise to make her happy in this world, but in the next. So from that point, there was a period of almost daily visions, uh, which came to be known as the Holy Fortnight. Um, So on the 19th of February, she returns for her fourth vision. Um, She brings a lighted candle with her and goes to the grotto And from that night on, more and more people are going to be sort of carrying candles together to the grotto for this. Um, Eight people came for this for this fourth vision, including her mother and two of her aunts. And uh, from that point, the story started to sort of spread among the townspeople, with some really believing that Bernadette was telling the truth and others thinking it was a hoax. She returned again on February 20th. This is the fifth vision with 30 people and later reported that the lady had taught her a prayer, which she said every day of her life, but never wrote down or repeated to anyone. Um, And by this time, the news is starting to spread to other towns. And uh, many people are suggesting that she is seeing a vision of the Virgin Virgin Mary. Um, She returns the next day, uh, February 21st, with over 100 people. And the apparition says to her, you will pray to God for sinners. At this point, the police commissioner, Dominique Jacomet, interrogates her. um, And her father assures the police commissioner that this affair is going to cease. uh, But it does not. (laughs) On February 23rd, she returns again for the seventh vision with 150 people, including Jean-Baptiste Estrade, who is a tax inspector, Dufault, a court official, officers from the garrison. And Bernadette says that on this date, the lady told her a secret, which was only for her, and that she never revealed the secret to anyone in her lifetime. Her eighth vision is the next day, uh, February 24th, with 250 people. And the lady says, penance, 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 pray to God for sinners, kiss the ground as an act of penance for sinners, um, which I think is where we get that uh, that Jeopardy clue about pilgrims kissing the stone in the cave. And the next day um, was the day when Bernadette discovered a spring in the grotto. Uh, she went there and she saw the vision. Um, the lady told her that she should go and drink at the fountain and wash herself. 
she assumed that the lady meant the little stream that she'd been, you know, trying to cross when she first saw this vision. But uh, the lady directed her, pointing her toward a rock where she found a small puddle of muddy water, so little that she couldn't get any into her cupped palm. And so she scratched at the ground with her hands and sort of dug away at the dirt until a bigger like little pool formed and she was able to scoop up a little water and drink it. And the vision also told her to eat the herbs that were growing there. And she did, she says. Um, That is the origin of the spring of Lord, uh, which is said to have started flowing from that place later that day. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and that's where, that's where, that's where the, like there's like that water is still kind of an object of um, a focus point of devotion. Um, she goes back the next day with 800 people the day after that with a thousand on March 1st, she's back again. This is the 12th of her 18 visions. There are 1500 people there with her and a local housewife who is nine months pregnant, who had a paralysis of the ulnar nerve in one arm following an accident, uh, reported that she regained full movement after bathing her arm in the spring and also went into labor and had to leave immediately to give birth. Um, so I think the first, the first report of like a miraculous healing, March 2nd, she's back again. The lady commands her, go tell the priests to come here in procession and to build a chapel here. And so accompanied by her two aunts, she goes to ask Father Peramel to build a chapel. He's kind of the local priest. He forbids her to go to the grotto and dismisses her. And he ordered the priests to have nothing to do with the grotto, it was the general practice of the clergy at the time to discourage religious visionaries. Um, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of religious piety and a lot of uh, apparently, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and it mm. was kind of the practice of the clergy to try not to feed it too much, <laughs> which sounds horrible, but also sometimes I kind of understand. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But Bernadette was determined. She returned with one of the priest's friends to ask again. Um, She was questioned before the parish clergy and dismissed. And the priests of the parish could not agree on what course to take. On March 3, she asks for the lady's name. Father Peramal has told her that the requests for a procession and a chapel can't be fulfilled unless... The lady's name is known. So she asks the lady's name, but the lady just smiles. The next day, March 4th, this is the 15th vision. She has over 9,000 people there with her. And she asks the lady's name again, and the lady just smiles. And that's the end of the um, the holy fortnight. But then she goes back again about three weeks later on March 25th and uh, sees the vision again and asks again. And the lady responds to her question um, by saying, I am the Immaculate Conception. So she reported this to the parish priest who went to visit the bishop, who told the priest to stay away from the grotto. Um, Okay. Yep. On April 7th, she has her 17th uh, vision. And the town physician is there for this one. And he reports that she was holding a candle and that the flame... Um, because of the way she was holding it and the, the wind and whatever, that the flame was kind of passing over her hands and that her hands should have been burned, um, but that she didn't notice and that there was no, you know, no damage observable. 
and apparently to sort of test whether there was something, you know, something going on with the candle or, you know, with her, with her medically or whatever, um, he held the candle um, close to her hand and she, you know, flinched away as you would normally expect. Um, but she hadn't been burned while she was holding the candle and praying. On June 8th, 1858, the mayor of Lords barricaded the grotto and stationed guards to prevent public access. Um, visitors would be fined for kneeling near the grotto or for talking about the grotto, which was supposed to put a damper on the whole situation. Um, but on July 16th, Bernadette goes back again. This is the final appearance of her vision. Because the grotto was barricaded, uh, she knelt outside the fence by the riverbank. And she said about this final vision, I thought I was at the grotto at the same distance as I was the other times. All I saw was Our Lady. She was more beautiful than ever. So all the local authorities' attempts to kind of quash this thing are ineffective. And in October of 1858, the grotto was reopened to the public by order of uh, Emperor Louis Napoleon III. Uh, Bernadette received no further apparitions after that 18th appearance, um, and she did not feel any desire to visit the grotto afterwards, um, hmm. she reported. Um, but the, the people, the pilgrims, kept coming. The church was faced with questions nationwide um, and decided to institute an investigative commission on November 17, 1858. And on January 18, 1860, the local bishop finally declared that the Virgin Mary did appear indeed to Bernadette Subiru. Bernadette did not especially like all of the attention that came with having this, uh, this vision. She uh, went to the hospice school run by the Sisters of Charity of Nevers, where she had learned to read and write. She considered joining the Carmelites, but her health precluded her entering any of the strict contemplative orders. On July 29, 1866, uh, she took the religious habit of a postulant and joined the Sisters of Charity at their mother house at Nevers. She spent the rest of her brief life at the mother house, working as an assistant in the infirmary, infirmary um, and later as a sacristan, creating beautiful embroidery for altar cloths and vestments. Because of her childhood bout of cholera, she was in very poor health, suffering from severe chronic asthma and eventually contracting tuberculosis of the lungs and bones. For several months prior to her death, she was too ill to take an active part in convent life, and she died at the age of 35 in 1879 on April 16th. Subsequent to her death, Several times over the subsequent decades, um, three times over the subsequent decades, her remains were exhumed by the Catholic Church um, as they searched for signs of miracles as they were as there were, you know, sort of deliberations and sort of the process of canonization happening. It was was is I don't know, um, believed that. One miracle that you would see if someone was truly a saint is that their remains would be preserved from decomposition. Um, mm. And the doctors who examined her remains did see, did claim that they saw that, you know, that, that her, that the normal sort of processes of decomposition were not happening. And on that, that third and final exhumate exhumation, um, they gathered relics as well, which okay. squicks me out a little bit, but anyway, yep. Yep. um, in the 160-some years since uh, St. Bernadette dug up the spring, 
Um, 70 cures have been verified by the Lord Medical Bureau as inexplicable. Hmm. Yeah, so the Lord Medical Bureau was um, established in 1905 at the direction of Pope Pius X to investigate claims of miraculous cures. It is apparently under completely medical rather than ecclesiastical supervision, and uh, about 7,500 people have uh, brought their case to the Lord Medical Bureau to have their miracle confirmed. And 70 of those, um, about 0.1%, have been declared inexplicable. Uh, The Lord Commission that examined Bernadette after the visions ran an intensive analysis on the water of the spring and found that while it had a high mineral content, it contained nothing out of the ordinary that would have kind of healing properties um, from a medical perspective. Medical perspective. Hmm. In 1863, Joseph Hugh Fabiche was charged to create a statue of the Virgin according to Subiru's description. The work was placed in the grotto and was solemnly dedicated on April 4th, 1864, in the presence of 20,000 pilgrims. Um, every recent pope has visited the Marian Shrine in Lord at some time, not necessarily during their papacy, you know, often sort of before that, um, but all of them have been there. And several churches were built there in the following decades, including the Sanctuary of Our Lady of Lourdes and the Basilica of St. Pius X. Bernadette Subiru was declared blessed on blessed on, four, on June 14th, 1921 by Pope Pius XI and canonized by Pope Pius XI on December 8th, 1933. Uh, she is the patron saint of bodily illness, uh, Lord France, shepherds and shepherdesses, uh, the patron saint against poverty, and the patron saint of people ridiculed for their faith. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not sure who makes people the patron saint of what I think it is. It the Pope? I don't know. I don't, anyway, some somebody's not too happy with the local clergy. <laughs> um, saint Bernadette has been depicted numerous times in media over the years, on the screen, in in literature, in song. Most notable for an American audience, I think, is um, The Song of Bernadette, the 1943 film, uh, which was based on Franz Werfel's 1941 novel of the same name. Uh, The Song of Bernadette won four Oscars, uh, including Best Actress in a Leading Role for Jennifer Jones. Um, Mm -hmm. About six million people per year visit Lord. I mean, obviously less in a global pandemic. And uh, Lord Water from the spring continues to be a focus of devotion, um, with many pilgrims drinking or bathing in it. Um, and there have been uh, bathing facilities built and renovated over time. And uh, Lord has um, the second most annual hotel stays of any city in France, second only to Paris. So, uh, so that's that is uh, Saint Bernadette of Lourdes and Our Lady of Lourdes. Hopefully, I didn't make any major um, faux pas with uh, with any of the kind of Roman Catholic language. Um, not all of which is familiar to me, and some of the kind of subtleties. But yeah, she's kind of a cool figure. Yeah, that that was really interesting. Yeah, this is um, this is our second deep dive about a young girl from France with religious visions. Right. So, <laughs> and Joan of Arc was also a uh, triple stumper this week, and I was like, no, she's already covered that. <laughs> I have, and it was really interesting. It was really interesting. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, not to pat myself on the back too much. Um, are you <laughs> ready? <laughs> are you ready for a quiz? Yes. All right. This is. Uh, I didn't get too clever with the theme. This is just all things kind of related to um, Saint Bernadette and things kind of around her. Okay. So, um, oh, and you have ten bonus points. Yes, I do. Because you guessed correctly. All right. So, question one. The Marian apparitions at Lord have a lot in common with another set of Marian apparitions. In 1531, Mary is said to have appeared to a peasant named Juan Diego, an event that is remembered at the most visited Christian shrine in the world. Where is that shrine? I think it's Guadalupe. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so so Guadalupe in Mexico City is the is the most visited. Uh, the thing I saw said most visited shrine, and I'm like, I'm not sure how reliable this source is, but most visited Christian shrine, I'm I'm pretty sure about. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's the most visited shrine, and um, among other commonalities, um, in both cases, Mary appeared to a peasant. In both cases, she spoke the local vernacular in her appearances. Um, mm-hmm. Occitan to uh, Bernadette and Nahuatl to uh, Juan Diego. And in both cases, she asked for a church to be built in the spot where she appeared. There are some other other commonalities, but those are the the ones that I especially liked. Um, So great. Uh, You're at 20 points. Question two. A noted author visited Lourdes in 1891 and 1892. He was not impressed with the bathing facilities, writing, As some hundred patients passed through the same water, you can imagine what a horrible slop it was at the end. There was everything in it. Threads of blood, sloughed off skin, scabs, bits of cloth and bandage, an abominable soup of ills. The miracle was that anyone emerged alive from this human slime. I guess you could say he accused the Lord facilities of being unhygienic. Who is this author of such oh. works as Therese Reckin? Oh man, what is his name? Uh, oh god! I heard you coming. hear the clue. There's a name coming to mind, and I I think it's I don't know I, Emil Zola. That's correct. Okay, okay, good. I'm glad yes. that I associated that name correctly with Jacques. Yep. Yes, yes. Uh, Emil Zola, um, uh, noted for his role in the Dreyfus Affair, and uh. He, uh, I believe that the quote is from his book, Lord, which is part of the Three Cities trilogy. Uh, So you're at 30 points. And question three. Uh, The score for the Song of Bernadette was written by Alfred Newman, who won an Oscar for it. But before he was contracted for the project, a different composer was approached first and began writing music for the apparition of the virgin scene. He then repurposed that music for the second movement of his symphony in three movements. Who is this Russian composer who became a citizen of France and the United States? Russian composer who became a citizen of France and the United States. And this is in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. I would, without knowing anything else, I'm I'm going to assume this is Stravinsky. It is Stravinsky. Okay. I was like, I, I'm like, this quiz is for Kyle. I can't be like, he also wrote the Rite of Spring. Who is yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
like all I all I could do was like give you the obscure fact and like his nationality <laughs> because yeah. anything well, else. Like, I mean, the time period know? was enough. Yeah. 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 All right, you're at forty points. You are crushing this quiz. Uh, question four, um, and this is like. I get annoyed at Jeopardy when they when they ask these kinds of questions because it's like hard to phrase your answer well. Um, mm-hmm. But you know we'll be flexible. Um, in visions of the Virgin Mary, she's often seen holding a rosary. While the rosary is a common devotional item in the Catholic faith, people sometimes have questions about why Mary would be holding one. What would be odd about the Virgin Mary praying the rosary? Hmm. Uh, my my understanding of the rosary is that um, s- some or all of the prayers are directed to Mary. Yes, and so that she'd is be correct. praying to herself. Yep. Yeah. So I, I uh, the, my sort of ideal answer was because she would be praying to herself. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, the, there are a lot of hail Marys in the rosary. There are other prayers also. Um. And when I was looking at these sort of Marian apparition stories and seeing all these kind of, and she was holding a rosary. I was like, I was like, that, that's weird. I bet that Catholics have talked about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I came across explanations that the reason Mary would be holding a rosary would not be that she prays the rosary because like, obviously that would be weird. Um, but in order to encourage others mm-hmm. to pray. Yeah. Uh, all right. You're at 50 points. <laughs> And we're heading into question five. I think this is maybe my most difficult. Pope Pius XI is the pope who eventually canonized St. Bernadette. He canonized 29 saints uh, during his papacy, including another young woman from France. Known as the Little Flower of Jesus, this saint shares her first name with several other saints, including the one of Avila, and the one of Calcutta. Who is she? Uh, well, I, there's a name that's coming to mind. I think, I mean, Calcutta points me to Teresa, and that's what I, th- I think there's a painting, like the ecstasy of St. Teresa or something like that. So that that's what I'm going to go with. All right. Well, we'll, I think we'll accept St. Teresa. Uh, This is St. Teresa of Lisieux. Uh, The ecstasy you're thinking of is St. Teresa of Avila. Okay. Um, But yeah. uh, Yeah. St. Teresa of Lisieux was phenomenally sort of popular and beloved. Uh, They broke the rules about waiting 50 years after somebody dies to canonize that person Mm. for her. Uh, Really beloved for her. Uh, autobiography story of a soul um and i just had no idea until i was uh looking at recent saints uh and uh people canonized by pope pius the 11th um how uh how beloved saint Teresa of lisieux was um but yeah you're at 60 points we're gonna call the final category biblical figures well i mean i have an opportunity to get the absolute maximum here so i'm going to go for it so i'll bet all 60 all right so for 120 points lord water is sometimes compared to zamzam water water from the zamzam well in mecca which pilgrims drink 
The story of the Zamzam well can be found in Jewish, Muslim, and Christian scriptures, but it's understandably much more important to Muslims than to the other two Abrahamic faiths. Name either the mother or the son in scripture whose lives were saved by the appearance of the Zamzam well in the desert. And I guess I should note the Zamzam well was, uh, the, the name Zamzam was, was given to it later and is not something that you would know from, you know, from your, from our religious tradition. The mother or son who was saved by the appearance of the Zamzam well. Mm-hmm. What it? Okay, I'm going to talk it up. I, I don't, I don't know this, but I'm thinking when I think of mother and son pairs, I don't think of many in like the biblical stories and the mention of Abraham makes me think of Hagar and her son. Isaac was the other one. And I think it's Ishmael. But I'm pretty. Sh- I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with the handmaid. Okay. H- Hagar or Hadar? Hagar. Yes. How do you pronounce it? Hagar and Ishmael are the two correct answers. You got both of them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. So. Uh, so yes, you are correct for a hundred and twenty points. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, sort of the the kind of um, uh, the the Muslim faith traces itself back to mm-hmm. Abraham via Ishmael. Ishmael. Um, yeah. And so the story of Hagar and Ishmael being miraculously saved in the desert is like central mm-hmm. in their, you know, religious tradition. Whereas, you know, for Judaism and Christianity that sort of focus more on Abraham to Isaac to Isaac. Jacob, mm-hmm. um Hagar and Ishmael is sort of part of the, you know, part of our, part of the stories, uh, part of the, part of the biblical canon. It's part of our stories, but it's not sort of central for us. So that's, that's why I said it's in all three, but understandably, understandably more important to um, the Muslim faith. Um, So yeah. uh, So yeah, the Zamzam well is in Mecca and is, uh, is, can be, is part of the pilgrimage that people go on there. Um, Nice. And you just finished a quiz with 120 points. Yes. Yes. A mind-blowing, a miraculous 120 points. Miraculous. Thank you, St. Bernadette. <laughs> this one's for you. That one's going out to St. Bernadette. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and thanks, Kyle, for uh, making a podcast with me. This is, this is always a highlight of my week. And thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. We hope it's a highlight of your week, too. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Leave a rating or review if you'd be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. If you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know that they can listen to recaps and analysis and deep dives and, you know, Jeopardy chit-chat here. You all can find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpodablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we will be back next week with another week of Jeopardy! recaps and a deep dive and a quiz. (laughs) So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.